0: Today we're talking about, uh, we're covering perhaps one of the most popular Bible verses ever, right? Everybody's heard this Bible verse at some point or another. Chances are that you have this Bible verse maybe on a refrigerator magnet at home. Chances are you have it on a coffee mug perhaps. Some of you have it on the back or the front of a t-shirt, right? Some of you even have it tattooed on your wrist or your arm somewhere, right? That's how popular this Bible verse is. So many of us Cody, I know if you've ever walked into a, a Christian bookstore, I've walked to many times. I bet you, as you look around, you're going to find it on a coffee mug. It's on a picture frame. It's on tambourines. You guys know what tambourines are? You don't have any here, but they're printed on tambourines and book jackets all over the Christian bookstore. It's all over the place. It really is a popular verse. And of course, it makes sense, right? Because on the surface, if you read this verse, it sounds pretty straightforward when you read it. It says it pretty clearly. God wants me to prosper. Isn't that what the verse says, right? God wants me to prosper. So what's the confusion, Danny? Why is this part of the series? Well, we're in the series called Twisted, and we've been looking at several Bible verses that are oftentimes misinterpreted, misquoted, misunderstood, or misapplied. And my hope from the series would be to rightly understand these verses. We want to really dig in, dive in, and really understand these verses so to be able to really interpret them well. But secondly, my hope was that you guys would pick up your Bibles and, and dust it off, right? And, and dust the cobwebs off and begin to read the Bible for yourselves. And so that we can really be good studiers, right? And, and, and learners of God's Word. And week one, we, we talked about this. We, we, we asked the question, how do you interpret the Bible? When you read the Bible at home, when you're doing your quiet time, whatever, your devotional, your Bible reading plan, how do you read the Bible? How do you interpret it uh, how do you do that? And we said three things. First, we said that you had to understand the context, right? So whenever you read any particular verse, you realize that there's words before it, there's words after it, and those words are within a chapter. That chapter is within a book or a letter of the Bible, and that book or letter of the Bible is within the full narrative of Scripture, right? So there's context. Whenever you read a verse, any particular verse that includes Jeremiah 29 11, there's a context. There's something that comes before, after, and during... And so it's so important that we understand that. The second thing we said is that you interpret scriptures with scriptures. And what that means is that uh, you look at other parts of the Bible, other verses that corroborate that, confirm the conclusion you're drawing from that particular verse. By the way, guys, if you read a particular verse and and, uh, you come up with some interpretation of that verse and you realize that it contradicts other parts of the Bible, can I suggest that maybe you're interpreting that verse wrong. Okay? The, the Bible will confirm itself. So understand, maybe you're misunderstanding that particular verse. The third thing we said is that we're going to apply what we learn. It's important, guys, that we apply what we learn. We don't simply read the Bible. Uh, we apply. James says, don't simply be hearers of the word, but doers, which means that we're going to do what it says. We want to apply the Bible. Understand the context, interpret scripture with other scriptures, and apply what you learn. And when you read the Bible, uh, and this is particularly important for what we're talking about today, you need to understand that there are parts of the Bible that are descriptive and other ones that are prescriptive. Okay? There's parts of the Bible that are descriptive, other ones are prescriptive. In other words, there's some instances where the Bible is describing what is happening. It's stating a particular promise for a certain group of people. It's describing what's happening. Now, other parts of the Bible are prescriptive. There are things that we should apply to our lives. It's things that are relevant to us even now, years after the Bibles have been written. And these are parts that we can take extremely literal and we can put them into practice. So there's parts of the Bibles that are prescriptive and descriptive. Are you guys tracking? If you'd like to take extra notes, maybe this is a good time to do it. Another thing to notice is that there are two types of promises in the Bible. Okay? There are specific promises and general promises. Specific promises are promises given to a certain group of people for a specific time. Right? And general promises, uh, as the word says, can be applied more broadly and extend past the audience that is given to. So you have specific promises given to a certain group of people at a certain time, and then you have general promises that can be applied more broadly. Now, I want to teach you, I know this is a lot of throwing at you. You're learning a lot today in church, so you're getting your money's worth. Let me teach you two more terms that you may or may never have heard before. Uh, these are terms a lot of times they teach you in, uh, in, in seminary and stuff, for those of you that like to learn more and study the Bible. And there's a, these are two words. We're going to talk about exegesis versus eisegesis. Now, not Jesus like Jesus Christ, J-E-S-U-S. Jesus like G-E-S-I-S. Exegesis and eisegesis, okay, these are these two words, here's what exegesis means, exegesis is basically means to read, to interpret, or to pull out of a particular text, you read a verse, right, you read a text, you read it, and you're trying to pull out the meaning from that text, you're allowing the text to speak, and you're you're pulling out the meaning from that particular text, eisegesis, on on the other hand, means to read a particular text and instead of pulling out, you put in your own ideas. It's almost like putting yourself into the text, okay? Uh, So uh, let me just give you a quick example, okay? Uh, David and Goliath, you read the story of David and Goliath, right? David kills Goliath. Exegesis is you pulling out the meaning of that text and saying, wow, you know, David was little. Uh, Goliath was big, so it was nothing out of David's might to defeat the giant. It was God's power and God's spirit on David that was able to use the throwing of the stone to defeat the, the giant overall. And, and the overarching thing is that God gets the glory, right? From the defeating of the giant. That's pulling out of the text. I said Jesus is, I'm David, and the world's problem is Goliath. right? And that's probably the way a lot of you have heard you know many sermons preached before right i'm david i'm the weak guy i trust in god and my car got flat tires that's my goliath and i'm going to conquer my goliath you know today right and and i'm going to throw my stone and, and god's going to help me through this that's that's i said jesus that's throwing yourself into the text all right so now with that being said right with this particular text jeremiah 29:11. What do you think is the way most people read it? What do you think? What do you think? You think it's exegesis or eisegesis? Well, you guys can talk to me. Talk to me. What do you think? Eisegesis. Most of the, most of the time, people read Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they isogene, right? Most people put themselves into the text. Why? Why, when we read that verse, do we say, that's me It's talking to. That's my promise. Why do we say that? Well, Honestly, uh, it's because we're selfish and greedy a lot of times, and because we want to make it all about us. We're easily drawn to a passage like this that is seemingly positive and filled with promise, and we want to make it all about us because we want to be prosperous, and we want all the wealth, and we want the promise that that gives. I bet some of you may have even heard sermons preached from this text, and promises were made towards you. Yeah, they read this verse and they said, all right, I know the plans I have for you. Guys, that means God has great plans for you. That means he wants to bless you. He wants to give you a tremendous wealth. He wants to give you a nice car and all this and that. Right? You probably heard sermons like that. You were told that God wanted you to prosper and he wanted you to be blessed. And you probably were like, yeah, amen. Right? Like, amen, I want that. I want that. Why? Because who doesn't want a nice car? Who doesn't want a bigger house? Who doesn't want money in the bank? Who doesn't want a life free from grief and strife, right? Who doesn't want that? Here's the problem.
1: What happens
0: when you interpret this verse for yourself, you eisegesis, right? You eisegesis. What happens when you interpret this for yourself uh, and you don't get all that you hope for, you don't get all that you expect? What happens then? What happens when your car breaks down, you get evicted from your apartment, your girlfriend breaks up with you, you're down to your last penny, and life is nothing but strife what do you do well if that's the interpretation of the verse then there's one or two things that can happen you can draw one or two conclusions the first conclusion is that you know what that promise is in the Bible I don't have that promise for me so that means God doesn't exist and that's some of the way that we tend to live this out this is the way we interpret this verse hey God said it you know I'm supposed to be blessed and prosperous I'm not blessed and prosperous so that means God doesn't exist the other, way that you can, the other conclusion you can draw is that you read the Bible verse, you interpret it for yourself, you isolate the text, you don't get blessed and prospered the way you hoped and expected you would, so then that means God isn't good. God does exist, he promised that, he doesn't fulfill his promises then. He told me I'll be prospered and blessed and I'm not, I'm going through a life of difficulty and hardship. So that means, God he might be up there, but God's not very good. You guys see the conclusion you can draw from misinterpreting this text. And this is why it's so important that we draw <laughs> the correct conclusion. So, to do that, we need to understand the context. Remember what I said at the beginning. How do you read into, how do you interpret a text? You read it, the context. Alright, so we need to understand the context. We need to understand who was this passage written to, by who, and what were the circumstances. Now, thankfully for you and me, Jeremiah 29, 1 tells us exactly. So, we're going to read that verse, Jeremiah 29.1. Here's what it says, Jeremiah 29.1, it says this, this is the text of the letter that the prophet, who the prophet? Jeremiah Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to, to who? Look who he sent it to, to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, right? All the people, Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Alright, so, who was it written by? It was written by? It's not a trick question. It was written by? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. It was written by the prophet Jeremiah. He was a prophet. Prophets would speak on behalf of God. And so we see that this was written by Jeremiah. Now, who was it written to? It was written to the elder, the priest, the prophets, and the Israelites. Basically, the, the, the Jews, the God's, God's people, the Israelites. Uh, so this specific promise, Jeremiah 29, 11, was given to God's people, the Israelites who, check this, We're under Babylonian control and bondage. You see, the Israelites disobeyed God. God would give orders to the Israelites, and constantly, over and over again, they would disobey. He would say, don't, don't pursue false gods. Don't put other gods before me. And the Israelites would disobey. They would disobey. So God allowed Israel to be under the control of the Babylonian empire under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, check this, for 70 years. This was part of their punishment because they disobeyed God. And God gave them some very clear orders and they disobeyed. So God allowed them to be under the control of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire, for 70 years. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, What comes before Jeremiah 29? I don't know, Danny. I flunked out a math class. Minus one is 28. So Jeremiah 28 is the chapter before Jeremiah 29. And if you read that chapter before, you're introduced to another so-called prophet. And and this prophet, his name is Hananiah. In fact, uh, there's somewhat of an epic showdown between Jeremiah and Hananiah, these two prophets. You see, Jeremiah was saying that the Israelites would be under Babylonian control for 70 years. Hananiah? Hananiah was falsely prophesying that it would only be two years. Hananiah's telling the people, guys, don't worry about it, it's just two years, everything will be good, you'll be prosperous, you'll be alright after two years. Of course, here comes Jeremiah, he has a conflicting message, and his message is that, uh, guys, actually, it's going to be 70 years, which means that some of you ain't even going to see it past this, because you're going to die in your lifetime under Babylonian control, right? Hananiah was a false prophet with false good news. But because people are naturally bent towards wh- uh, what benefits them, what do you think the people tend to be uh, bent towards? What do you think they want? Right? You'll pick two over 70 any day, right? You'll pick two years in bondage over 70 years at any time. And so this, this fall into eisegesis, what we are talking about before, can make us susceptible to be drawn towards false news. right? It makes us susceptible to get, fa- to, to get drawn towards false news. Perhaps that's why when you hear the radio or the TV preachers who interprets this verse to be all good news in your favor, you're drawn to receive it. right? You're drawn like, yeah, this is good news, man. I love what he's saying. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be prosperous. You're drawn to receive it in that sense. But it's important to realize this, number one in your notes, that Christianity is not a call to comfort. Christianity is not a call to comfort. Guys, Christianity is not a means to an end. Unfortunately, so many people interpret Christianity or religion or or, or whatever, for that matter, this way. They they say this. I'm going through a rough time. My funds are low. My girlfriend cheated on me. I think I need a little Jesus for a quick pick-me-up. So many people look at Christianity that way. You know, I'm going through a difficult time, so I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get my little quick pick-me-up, and then I'll head back out. Guys, God does not exist for our glory. We exist For his God is not a divine great wish grantor in heaven waiting for you to give a demand so that he can comply. Right? He's not waiting for your demand to make it a reality. If your God simply exists to make your dreams a reality, then I'm afraid that your God is too small. Your God is too small. Okay? My God is big. He doesn't exist for my glory. I exist For His. Now, guys, I know that this is a bubble buster, but you need to understand that Christianity is not a magical solution to all of your problems. Mm -hmm. Alright? In fact, Jesus said that this side of heaven, you would face strife. You would face grief. You would face hardship. You would face turmoil. That was Jesus' promise to us. And this is another reason why so many people tend to fall away after a season. Either because... Uh, they, 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 they came to church, they came to Christianity, they came to Jesus, religion, whatever, to find the solution to the problems. When, but when they see that it doesn't magically happen, they're God. I came to church, I tried Jesus, I came to religion to solve my problems, and my problems are still here. I still have this issue, I still have this hardship. So you know what? Obviously this isn't for me. They had out. Or or they get the answer prayer, they get the problem solved, the situation blows over, and you know what? They abandon the Lord again until the next big tragedy. But here's another thing that we need to realize. Here's another thing we need to realize, number two, that what I can't preach everywhere, I shouldn't preach anywhere. What I can't preach everywhere, I shouldn't preach anywhere. Did you ever consider the fact that perhaps when we read Jeremiah 29 and 11, that maybe we're reading this through a westernized and privileged lens. Did you ever consider that? Guys, you need to realize that we are super blessed as a nation, as a people. We are so blessed, guys. And while it may not all be sunshine and rainbows, there are benefits, many benefits and blessings that we have in the U.S. that are not available to very many different parts of the world. Do you guys realize that? If you want to interpret this verse to mean that you're a Christian and you live in the U.S. and in New York, of all that, right? The capital of the world. So obviously, Jeremiah 29.11 means that God wants to bless you, right? He wants you to prosper you. Then you have to explain to me about the people who are living in underprivileged parts of our globe who don't have the same opportunities that you do. How does Jeremiah 29.11 apply to them? If Jeremiah 29.11 to you means having a nice car and a big house, How do you explain that to somebody who is living in impoverished terms anywhere else in the rest of the world? What about the mother who has to choose whether she gives the last bites of leftover bread that she found in the trash can to her child or to herself to nourish herself? What about her? What about the child whose stomach is inflated because it's full of pesticides and malnourishment without any access to clean water? What about him? What about the refugees who are fleeing from the only place they know as home to escape the mistreatment and poverty of their homes? What about that person? What's God's plan to (coughs) prosper them in that situation? You need to understand that if you're pursuing joy without agony or prosperity without pain, you're pursuing a false gospel. You're in pursuit of false good news. And this is why it's so important that we correctly apply this text. Because what well, you can't preach everywhere, you can't preach anywhere. Now, here's a verse that I want you guys to print out, hang it up on your fridge, get a magnet of this one. You guys ready? Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Let's read it out loud together. It's in your notes and on the screen. Ready? Read it. Go. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why don't you print that one out? Why don't, we, why don't we see t-shirts with this one? Why don't we drink our Gustello coffee out of this one? Here. How about this one? Philippians chapter 1 verse 29. Read it. Yo, I want you guys to read it loud. Okay? With great prosperity voices. Ready? Go. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in Him but also to suffer for Him. That's right. He did it for us. <laughs> guys, what? What? Why isn't this on a pen? <laughs> Guys, these are promises for us that we will suffer. Yes. These verses are confirmed throughout the Bible that you will face persecution. I don't see a lot of T-shirts with this verse. Nobody's rocking the fit, you know, with, with that I will suffer. I don't see that. <laughs> Nice to prosper? Yeah. Now, I know what you're thinking. Geez, Danny, I had a rough week at work, man. You know, this, this week was tough. You know, thanks a lot for the encouragement. You know what I mean? When do we get to the cheesecake? Well, let me, see if I can, let me see if I can encourage you. Here's number three, okay? Good news is not that God saves us from our trials, but from our sins. Good news is not that God saves us from our trials, but but from our sins. You see, the good news is not that God will alleviate your current pain and suffering. It's not that He might save you from whatever difficulty or struggle you might currently be experiencing. The good news is that ultimately He saves us from our sin. That is the greatest news that you can receive. You think you've got a battle what you're going through now? Let me try to paint the picture before you. Before a holy and righteous and matchless and perfect God We fall incredibly short. We are extremely sinful. And our sin does not simply deserve a slap on the wrist, bow bow, or time out. That's not what your sin deserves, right? Your sin deserves punishment. It deserves the outpouring of God's wrath. Ultimately, what we merit because of our sin is eternal damnation and separation from the presence of God. That is what you deserve. That is what I deserve. The good news is that God did for me and you whatever we could not do for ourselves, what we did not deserve, what we could not earn. God put on human flesh and God enters his creation in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lives the perfect and sinless life that neither you or I could live. No matter how hard we try. And then He absorbs the wrath that we deserve. He absorbs my punishment. He absorbs the death that you and I deserve. And He dies in our place. He puts it on His back and He dies. Jesus is ripped to shreds. He's whipped on His back. He's punched. He's mocked. He's smacked. He's severely flogged on our behalf. He is impaled onto a wooden cross where ultimately He would say His last words, breathe His last breath, hang His head, and die. But then by the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus does not remain on that cross. And neither does He remain in the grave. He conquers Satan's sin and death. He rises from the grave. And through His death, our sin was atoned for. And in His life, we have newness of life and the promise of an eternal future in the presence of God. The good news is that God saves us from our temporary affliction. But that he Not that He saves us from our temporary affliction, but that He saves us from our sin. What do you have to do to receive this most precious and valuable gift? I want to point you guys to the verses that follow. Jeremiah 29, 11. There's these two verses, 12 and 13. Now, these verses here are general promises that can be applied to us. And here's why. Because it's consistent with the rest of of scripture so we can apply these verses let's read it out loud ready go you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you Amen. you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart if you're here today you're not a follower of Jesus you've yet to put your faith in in Him, if you're, if you're trying to atone for your own sin by trying to live a good life, you fall incredibly short. We are all sinful and the only way that we can obtain salvation is by putting our faith and confidence and trust in Jesus Christ. And Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 says that if you seek him, you will find him. If you call out to him, he will hear you. If you pray to him, he will hear you when you search for him with all your heart. What do you have to do to receive the free gift of God's grace? Amen. Just call out to Him. He's going to hear your prayer. I have great plans to prosper you, says the Lord. Now, if you're like, Danny, I got the t-shirt at home. What do I do with it? What do I burn it? What do I do with the refrigerator magnet? The bumper sticker? It don't even come off now. It's been on there so long. What do you do with that? Listen, you don't have to throw it out. But here's another thing I want to point you to one of the things we should be looking for through all the pages of scripture is Jesus. This whole book, 66 books, all of it's about him. All of it's pointing towards Jesus. And let me help you interpret Jeremiah 29, from another lens. And God said that I have plans to prosper you, right? Not to destroy you, to give you a good future. That was ultimately accomplished in Jesus. There's no money in the world. There's no riches. There's no house big enough. There's no car nice enough to grant you the security that we can have in Christ Jesus. The prosperity that we experience when you realize your sin debt, when you realize how impoverished spiritually you are, but yet how blessed and prosperous we are because of Jesus. Because of what he has done. Don't throw out the bunker sticker or the, the magnet. when you read it, allow it to point you to Jesus and realize that Jesus, my good rags are as filthy, my good works are as filthy rags. But Jesus, what he did for me, and his perfection, his life, death, and resurrection, I am truly prosperous, more than any money in this world could give me. I am truly blessed, more than any house, any luxury, luxurious thing I can experience in this world, I'm truly blessed because of Jesus. Allow it to point you to Jesus, that ultimately it was fulfilled in him. And if you're here and you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus, then I want to encourage you to do so. That's call out to him, seek him, cry out to him. He's going to hear your prayer. And pray to him something like, Lord, I'm a sinner and I recognize I'm so sinful and I need you. I accept your free gift of grace and I put all my trust and confidence in you. That's something as simple as that. The Lord will hear that prayer. And the Bible says instantly, your sin is exchanged for Christ's righteousness. And you're welcome into the family of God. Have if you prayed that prayer, And there's a way that you can let us know, and that is in the connection card. If everybody will take that out real quick for just a second, because soon you have the opportunity to hand your connection card in. On the back, there's some next steps for all of us to follow. And one of them, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord and Savior, is to do that today, and you prayed that prayer, is to let us know. Check that off. uh, Because we want to follow up with you. We want to put a Bible in your hand. We want to encourage you. We want to celebrate. We want to celebrate with you. And if you made that decision to follow Jesus, one of, uh, of Jesus' next steps um, was to get baptized. All right, A baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. And if you made that decision to follow Jesus, you have the opportunity to do that. We want to help you take that next step as well. Whatever your next step is, you can check that off and, uh, and let us know. We love to help you take that next step. If you seek Him, you will find Him. Search for Him and call out to Him because He is mighty to save. You guys join me in prayer? Lord, forgive us for our selfish desire to interpret and bend the Bible to make it mean what would benefit us. Lord, help us realize that Christianity, Christianity, the call to follow you, is not a call to comfort. On the contrary, we realize that that in this life we will have struggle we will have strife. But we can be confident that you have overcome this world. I'm so grateful that the good news is not an affliction-free life, but that, God, you saved me from my sin. Help us live out our lives in light of this truth. that we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.